I suspect in the crowd, the size we have today, we have a lot of different views about preparation. And for some people, whatever you do, preparation is essential to it. And you spend hours and weeks and months preparing, getting everything just right, making sure you've thought of every contingency plan before you jump into something. Other people, preparation is a hindrance. You know, it's all about spontaneity. It's all about flexibility. It's all about the adrenaline of the moment. And preparing just hinders that. I suspect that we probably have a lot of people who are in between there. And we we have these different views of, of preparation because we've had experiences or we've gone through things that we've seen with people, the pros and the cons of preparation. I saw a cartoon recently that said, the planning committee plans to meet Tuesday evening to plan a meeting to make plans for planning the next planning session. Now that's somebody who understands the church. There it is, right there, right? They get it. Well, you know, it's those kinds of things that say, well, planning is bad, you know, it's not good. And, and there's probably a balance. But one of the things that I find when I read the beginning of Mark's gospel is that the coming of Christ is steeped in this whole concept of preparation. Mark says that, that John the Baptist comes because the prophets have said, prepare the way for the Lord. And John comes to prepare the way. And the coming of Christ is is infused with all kinds of ideas about preparation. And what what you find when you read this and you read the other Gospels that tell us a very similar story is that if you really want to be ready for Christ, preparation is going to be a part of that. Preparation is essential. Preparation is so significant. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean to prepare? Well, we find here in in Mark's gospel that John says to people trying to help them to prepare, he says, come confess and repent of your sin. Confession and repentance are huge parts of preparing to encounter and experience Christ. I tend to think of confession as that, that moment after we have done something wrong or because of something we have done wrong. And we speak to God and sometimes to other people and we confess our sins. We acknowledge it. Repentance, in my opinion, is a little bit bigger and wider than that. Repentance, I think, is more about how we live. It's about how we think. It's about what drives us. What, what is, what is the, the motivation for all that we're doing, not just that one moment where we didn't obey? Repentance is not so much about this sin or that sin as it is the need to recognize that our life is on a course that is not healthy. It's not the course of God. And as we have discovered through the years, the word repentance has that sense of making a U-turn. And we make this U-turn to turn the light, our direction around. Repentance is this mindset of realizing there is something about just who I am and the way I think and what's important to me and what motivates me. It's not what it ought to be. 
And that leads us to these acts of sin that need to be confessed. But that repentance is something deeper. It's a whole change of mind, change of heart, change of what we do and who we are. And to that idea, the prophet says, make straight paths as you prepare for, for the Messiah to come. I like the way the New Living Translation has that. It says, clear the road for him. That conjures up images in my mind of a, a two-lane highway going through the woods that is just a storm has just hit. And there are limbs and debris and all kinds of stuff blocking the road, making it impassable. And the only way that the road will become passable is if things begin to get picked up and cleaned up and the road gets cleared up. And I think that's repentance. Repentance is recognizing that our road is cluttered with stuff that is preventing us from experiencing Christ, from knowing Christ, from being in relationship with Christ, from understanding all that Christ has for us. And the roads of our lives are are cluttered with the stuff that we find so important in this world. You know, the stuff that we cling to. The things of this world that that we love and embrace and don't want to let go of. Things that become more important than Christ. You'll notice that there aren't any, don't seem to be any Pharisees that come to John. None of them are hanging around with him because there is a sense in their lives that, that they don't need to repent. They don't need to confess any sin. And to do so would be, you know, out of character. And it strikes me that one of the most dangerous places we can be, one of the most dangerous things that lies in our road as people who are followers of God are the, are the limbs that say we've arrived. The limbs that believe that we don't need to repent of sin anymore. We've, we've done it. We've gotten to that place where we're finished. We've accomplished everything there is to accomplish spiritually. We've arrived everywhere there is to arrive spiritually. We're done. I think for many of us, that's going to be the temptation to be the largest limb in our road. And John says, you got to get that out. Because that pride, that arrogance will keep you from experiencing Christ. You'll notice that John says, if you, want to, if you want a glimpse of your motivation, if you want to know that, that you really are committed to repentance and confession of your sin, he said the indicator of that is, is baptism. People come to be baptized as they repent and confess. I suspect that baptism is more than most of us believe it to be. And, and I know that we're probably afraid that because some people think of baptism to one extreme, we go to the other extreme. And yet, when you look at Jesus, he himself is baptized. It's that important. And in the, some of the last words he gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are people who believe that baptism is saving grace. That until you are baptized, you are not really a Christian. And you certainly could not go to heaven. 
And so because of that, we go to the other extreme and say, we often give the impression of, well, baptism, take it or leave it. You know, it, it's sort of a, it's important and it's great, but it's just sort of an add-on. It's something you can do if, if you want to, and we downplay it. And the scriptures are probably some of both. It is more than what we realize, and maybe for some people it's less than what they believe. But there is something about baptism that is a clear indication of our willingness to humble ourselves and to come before God and others and acknowledge we are sinners who need God's grace. I think this was driven home to me most clearly. I spent a summer in, in Taiwan. Now, I went did my undergraduate work at George Fox out in Oregon, and George Fox is a Quaker, friend's school. And the, the Friends Church does not practice the sacraments. They believe that they are spiritual and not literal. So they don't baptize people and they don't take communion. It took a little bit of getting used to that. But, you know, we had some interesting conversations with people. But that's how they view their expression of their faith. And when I was in Taiwan, I, I encountered some uh, Friends missionaries. And we had some connections to George Fox. And in the course of conversation, asking them about their ministry, they said... You know, not too long ago, we baptized a dozen or so people. And I said, whoa, wait a second. You guys don't do that. And they said, well, we do here. And I said, why? And they said, well, because in this culture, when, when someone becomes a Christian, say, a, you know, a young person comes home and, uh, from university and says, mom and dad, I've become a Christian. The typical response is, well, that's great. We will add what you do as Christians to all the other things that we do in our other part of the religious nature of our family and our life. You put your Christian God on the shelf with the others. But when someone comes and says and is baptized, that's the defining moment. It's in baptism that after baptism that that's usually when parents, if they're going to, will disinherit their children and throw them out of the house and and they will be persecuted. And that story is repeated in many, many places of the world. It's at baptism that the line is drawn where people know this is not about Jesus and it's about just Jesus. And I think we miss a lot of that because we live with such ease about our faith. No one's pressing pressing us. No one's pushing us. And these kinds of declarations are not all that important to us. But somehow it is important in in what John is helping people experience in this preparation because it's it's, this act of humility before God and others and acknowledging our sin and recognizing that we've got a path strewn with stuff that needs to be taken care of. And baptism is one way we acknowledge that. And again, you don't see the Pharisees and the religious folk at the water being baptized by John. That would be too humiliating. That would be too humbling. They're not all that concerned about their journey with Yahweh. Their distance from God doesn't really matter to them. And that's a problem because John is clearly telling us that people are blessed by God when they prepare the way. It's in preparing the way. It's in clearing the clutter. It's in removing the stuff from the road that then we open up our lives to be blessed by God. And there is in John's message both blessing and condemnation. 
We tend to think of God's condemnation as some, something God arbitrarily puts upon people, but it's not. It's our choice. It is just the natural result of our choice. We always have a choice, and God honors our choice because His love for us is to give us the deep, what deep in our being we truly want. You know, the great divorce, the uh, allegory by C.S. Lewis, you know, tells the story of the people in hell are given the opportunity to take a bus trip to heaven, and when they're there, they see everything, and they have the opportunity to stay. But no one wants to stay. That's the irony of it, because nothing in heaven is what they want. They don't want anything that's there because they like the stuff that's strewn on the road. That's more important. That's the stuff that gives meaning to their life. These trinkets, these broken limbs lying in the road, that's the stuff that's most important. And even though heaven offers so much more, it's just not important and it's not what they want. And the question continually before us is, do we want the incarnate Son to lead us and guide us? Do we want Him to drive our lives? Do we want Him to overwhelm our lives and control our lives? Do we want His mind? Do we want to walk the road and allow Him to clear the clutter and the debris so that we can experience Him? Do we really want Him to get rid of that stuff? We tend to think of preparing for Christ as something we do in one moment and then it's done. But it's not. It's this day-to-day, moment-by-moment decision. It is an attitude, a desire. It's a, it's a yearning to see and know and experience Christ. It's a willingness to wait and ponder and to pray and trust because God doesn't always move and act and do things according to our plan. I have discovered that in the moments when God doesn't act in our time or in our way or, or, the, or in the circumstance, doing things the way we want him to. It's in those moments that what we really want to be on the road comes to the surface. It seeps out. It's in the moments when we are not getting what we want, when we have to trust that what God is doing is right and best, we see clearly, do we really want the way of Christ? Or are we really wanting what we want. You know, waiting is hard. It's, it's integral to Advent. Waiting of the four Sundays of Advent symbolize the hundreds of years the Israelites wait for the Messiah to come. And some in Israel wait expectantly and in faith, and some in Israel turn into themselves and give up hope. The waiting reveals what's in their hearts. And the waiting of Advent and of life reveals what's in our hearts too. But when we're willing to wait and trust, when we are willing to say, God, please clear the clutter, remove the debris, we are opening up the door to the great blessings of God. Forgiveness of sin. Freedom from the bondage of sin. We have the Holy Spirit's power in us. We have all that God created us to know and experience waiting for us. And it's always more than any of us could imagine. But what God understands is that 
It's hard for us to prepare the way. It's hard for us to let go of some of this stuff. To open the road for Christ to come. And so God sort of has this this pre-preparation place for us. And he sends messengers to get our attention and to help us prepare. Every article needs an introduction so you can really grasp the author's point. Every musical needs an overture so that you can engage fully into what the composer has written. Every story needs a backstory so you can really grasp the drama and engage in the comedy or the tragedy of the piece. And the gospel needs a messenger who will help us prepare the way into John the Baptist. It it intrigues me that Mark begins here saying, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. You would think the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would lead, the next sentence would be about Jesus. But it's not. It's about John. And I think there is something here that we often miss. John is integral to the process of the gospel. I think we miss the power and the necessity of John in the fullness of the gospel. John and Jesus inseparably connect To make the gospel a reality. And it's not a full gospel if you have John but not Jesus. But it's also not a full gospel if you have Jesus and not John. The gospel doesn't happen without John. Because we need someone to go before and to help us understand and to help us want to prepare for the coming of Christ. I think in our modern day, I think since... Since Jesus ascended, since Pentecost, that role of the messenger, the primary role is the church. As, as John points toward the one who is to come, the church points back to the one who has come. All that the church does points to Jesus. Everything we do about the church calendar is about pointing and drawing our attention to Jesus. This is the role of the church, to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. To be, to be the, the tool to help us clear the, the, the debris out of the road and to prepare for the coming of Christ. But as, as important and central as the role of the church is as the messenger, God is continually sending all kinds of messengers to help us clear the road. God speaks through events. Wars, natural disasters, miracles. I lived in Oregon when Mount St. Helens blew up in May... Uh, 18th, 1980, I felt the boom and, you know, the next week saw the ashes falling to the ground and I saw this poster in a Christian bookstore not too long after that. And I thought that was pretty profound. But you know what I find is things like mountains erupting and wars taking place and the jarring events of life have a pretty short shelf life for most people. After 9-11, there was a huge surge of church attendance and interest in Christ, but it soon ebbed back. And I think that's why God's primary messengers are people, prophets, friends, 
spiritual leaders. And it's often through unexpected people and unexpected circumstances that God helps us prepare the most. Because if we can see God and are willing to hear and listen through the unexpected things and the unexpected people, we will surely hear Christ in the expected moments. I wonder, are we willing to to hear and to see through people we might typically reject or at least resist to believing that a word from God could actually come from them or come through that way? Maybe from people who think differently than we do. People who have a different perspective about life than we do. People who are, who are less educated or people who are more educated. People who, who embrace tradition or people who don't. People who lean politically left or people who lean politically right. People who view their faith differently than we do, even in ways that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Can we believe that God might say something to us through these unexpected people? You know, John is pretty eccentric. I mean, even for a guy living out in the wilderness, and when you live in the wilderness and you're an itinerant preacher, you tend to wear things like camel's hair clothes and eat locusts and wild honey. I mean, that's what you do. Uh, but, you know, I, I was wondering if, if there were any, if, the, if this style would have caught on in their culture. You know, were there kids who were birthdays were saying, I'd like camel hair clothes, just like John the Baptist. You know, were there John the Baptist action figure dolls, you know, that came with little bits of locusts and wild honey, you know, in it like that? You know, I don't think so. And not because they didn't have the marketing stuff that we do. I think they were looking at John and saying, wow, he's got a word from the Lord, but he's kind of out there. You know, he's kind of different. And certainly for a section of, of the people, they weren't going to hear anything from John. But there were people whose hearts were open. They had a spirit of repentance, a spirit of humility. And when John came on the scene, they said, that's a word from God that I need to hear. And there may be people who come into our lives and we look at them and say, wow, they're kind of out there. They're a little bit eccentric. I'm not sure God would ever speak to me through somebody like that. Watch out. Watch out. You know, contrary to how we might plan it, Jesus comes into the world in the most unexpected way. He's just born to common couple in a common little town out of the way no no flourish no no great flashes other than a few angels and some and a star and later on when Jesus is an adult and he begins his ministry and he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he begins to preach all the people look at each other and say isn't this Mary and Joseph's son what's going on here he's just a kid like all the other kids and they miss him And it tells us that Jesus couldn't do very many miracles in Nazareth because they didn't believe. You know, because they're expecting him to come with a lot more flash, they miss him. Because they're expecting God to to come in a way that they have set in their minds, God could only come, they miss him. And the religious people miss him because he doesn't fit their 
way of thinking. I wonder if we miss what God wants to say to us because it's outside of the norm of how we think God ought to work. You see, the people who miss Jesus are the people who miss John. And the people who miss John are the people who miss Jesus. We prepare for Jesus by being ready at any moment for a word from God. And if we miss the messenger, it's a pretty good sign that we're going to miss, despite what we claim, Christ. If we're not clearing the road so that we can see Christ when he so we can hear the messenger, we'll never see Christ when he comes. When he comes into our lives today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, and the result of a cluttered road is not blessing. The preparation is really not preparation. It's the point. The preparation is what makes it possible for us to encounter and experience and be open to Christ. It's only when we have this desire to see the road clear that we encounter the incarnate one and receive all of the blessing that he wants to pour into our lives. Are we willing and open for God to send a messenger who might come in a way we don't expect? One of my favorite Christmas stories is told by the American poet Edwin Markham about a cobbler, a godly man who makes shoes back in the old days. And one night he has a dream that is so vivid that the next day Jesus is going to come and visit his little shop. And he gets up the next morning and he is sure it's true. And he goes out and he gets some greenery and he decorates the whole place up and he just waits for Jesus to come. But nobody comes. Later in the morning, an old man comes to the door and he wants to know if he can come in to get a little warmth out of the cold. And he says, sure, come on in. And as he watches him, he sits there, he realizes his shoes are completely worn through. And the cobbler takes a pair off the shelf and sends him on his way wearing new shoes. And still he waits and the afternoon goes along and no one comes except for an older woman carrying a bunch of firewood. And he invites her in out of the cold and rest and discovers she hasn't eaten for two days. And he goes and he makes her some supper and and he feeds her. He waits. And as, as the night is coming on and dusk is arriving, he hears a child crying outside of his door and he goes out. And the child is lost and afraid and he takes a child by his hand and walks him home. When he gets back, it's dark. The day is done. And he's filled with just this overwhelming sense of sadness. Because he's certain that while he was taking that child home, Jesus came and he missed him. And in anguish, he cries out, why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Have you forgotten that this was the day? And then soft in the silence, a voice he heard. Lift up your heart, I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street.
preparation for Christ is never just preparation. It's the point. And if we miss the messengers, we'll miss Christ. What's in our road? What clutter, what debris is God speaking to us about needing to clear? What word from someone is prompting us to see our lives in a way that we hadn't seen them before? Prepare the way for the Lord. Let's bow your heads with me in a spirit of prayer. In this moment of silence, if God is speaking to you about something on your road, a broken limb, some debris, things that might be in the way from truly experiencing the fullness of Christ, hear his voice and repent of your sin. Father, give us hearts that desire to prepare the way, to clear the road for Christ. Amen.